My name is Dave Hollenbach, the host of From Embers to Excellence. My goal is to explore the many facets of leadership from the perspectives of some amazing people. In addition to leadership, I like to discuss mental health, PTSD, and overcoming adversity. If you have a favorite episode, I would love to hear about it. Message me through social media or my website, and I will share some free tools to help you achieve your goals. Please like, subscribe, and leave a review. If you haven't purchased your copy of my book, Fireproof, please grab a copy today. Thanks for listening. Today, we got a special treat for you. Um, Thank you, everybody, for joining me. Today, I've got Neil Haley from The Neil Haley Show, the, the media giant. I've got an opportunity to to co-host with him today, where we're going to interview Chief Freddie Fernandez. And um, Neil, thank you so much, the media giant, and quite literally uh, towering in at six foot ten, former professional wrestler. So, uh, Neil, thank you so much for for joining. I'm excited. We're going to do this more often, and now I can just uh, have fun where it's your show, and I can ask questions when I can, and then really excited about our guests. So let's see who it is. You were mentioning who our guest is. Yeah, so Chief Freddie Fernandez, Miami Fire Rescue, retired. Chief uh, Freddie spent 32 years with Miami Fire Rescue. He held every civil service rank spending his last five years as the deputy fire chief. Chief Freddie's extensive teaching experience includes training firefighters, police officers, and corrections officers. Since 1999, Chief Freddie has specialized in test preparation courses for entry and promotional level public safety candidates. He's facilitated, prepared, and assessed hundreds of examinations, conducting seminars and private training sessions for all ranks. It is this extensive background that his new book is informed by. His new book, Fire Assessment Center 360, Climb Past Your Competition, is available now. And we're going to talk a little bit about that. But, um, you know, I would encourage you guys to go back and listen to the first interview that I did with Chief Freddie. He has graced this show uh, in the past. So, Chief Thank you so much for joining me again to uh, share uh, share the good news of your book coming out. Well, Dave, it's an honor and a privilege to be here. I'm so excited, especially having Neil here. That's an extra bonus I wasn't expecting, and it's just absolutely awesome. I thank both of you for your time and your listeners for paying attention. Um, I'm super excited about this new book that I've just put together. Uh, I was asked recently at church, you know, how long did it take to put the, the book together? And I told the lady that asked me, well, about 40 years. And she just started laughing and she goes, what do you mean 40 years? I said, well, really, it's an accumulation of 40 years of experience in the fire service, of training, of teaching others. The actual process of writing the book, when I really determined, hey, I'm going to get this done, did take about a year. And Dave, I got to admit that part of the motivation was was seeing your book when I read your book last year. And that inspired me to, to really get focused and get it done. So in this book, I just, I'm so excited to share what I've learned over the last 40 years of working with trainees, working with students from around the country, and what I learned in the fire service. And, and I thank you for hosting me today. Tell me a little bit about who is this book written for? That's a great question, because this book is written for anybody in the fire service that is looking to expand and grow their career. 
the title of a book, like you said, is Assessment Center 360 Climb Past Your Competition because it's focused to people that are perhaps going to have a promotional exam at some point in their career. But the focus that I tried to get across in this book is that we do not prepare for an assessment center. We do not prepare for an exam. We prepare ourselves. And one of the quotes that I have in the book, early on in the book, is about not trying to put on a persona or a fake image in the exam, because that will not carry you very far. And like I said, I, I was inspired by your book, but I quoted over 40 different authors in, in my book. And I take information from a lot of different sources, both in the fire service, outside the fire service, law enforcement. Um, one of my favorites, of course, John Maxwell. I have a lot of things from quotes from his. But what I try to tell the students is prepare yourself, then prepare for the assessment center. And that's the whole premise of the book, that you cannot demonstrate something on a promotion exam that you don't already possess. Now, Chief, specifically enough, you're talking about promotions. How important is it to move up the ladder if you're going to be in the fire and be a firefighter? Why don't you stay a specific rank? What is so important once you get into this business to make sure you move up the ladder? And, you know, promotions really aren't for everybody. There are some that choose to enter the career and stay at the firefighter rank for the rest of their career. And that's fine. For those people, I just say, be good at your craft. If you're a driver of a ladder truck, an engine truck, just be very good at it. But the reason that moving up, I think, is so important is it challenges people. It helps people grow. If you think about things like the self-actualization from Maslow, of always trying to reach that pinnacle um, it helps people to stay current in their career, helps to expand their reach. We have a lot of people that are leaders. And, you know, one of the things I talk about in the book is that in order to be a leader, you have to first learn how to lead yourself and be able to grow and develop. So I think one of the things that helps to keep us fresh in the career, helps keep us from getting stale, and it just makes the career more exciting throughout the years, in my opinion. I loved not just the, the process um, but the opportunity to grow and to be mentored because it, as I moved up in rank, it was like, well, one, I'm able to influence that many more people, but two, it's like a, another door of influencers is opened up to me. So I'm, I'm closer to the next rank. Um, the, the people that have been there and done that, um, they're they're more likely to mentor you as as well when they see you striving to achieve more, you know? It's interesting you would say that, Dave, because one of the chapters in the book is about mentoring. And I talk a lot about one of the early mentors I had in my career. He unfortunately passed away in the last year. His name was Robert Polk. But when I got hired in 1983, he already had 33 years in the fire service. Wow. He had been a union president. He had been a civil service board president. And he rode one of the busiest medic units in our department. But you would think that every patient was his mom. He treated every patient the way you would want to be treated. I also talk about other mentoring relationships that I had. And I specifically talk a lot about my fire chief, Maurice Kemp. Maurice Kemp was an incredible mentor because he listened to his subordinates. He empowered his subordinates. And he tried to get us to grow every day. So he challenged us. So I talk a lot about mentoring. And to back to Neil's question, I think that's a great part of the growth process as you challenge promotion exams is you're challenging yourself. 
and then your horizons start to change. So for instance, as a company officer, you're managing a crew, perhaps a couple of crews in a fire station. But once you get to a battalion chief, you might be managing 50 personnel, uh, five, six stations with 10, 12 apparatus. And as you continue going up the, the ranks, your, your scope just becomes much bigger and your reach becomes bigger. And for people with you know, the personality that you wanna be challenged and not stay stale in your position, I think it's great to continue getting promoted and making a bigger impact. So how about, let's talk a little bit about mentoring. How does it, how hard is it when you're in this industry to find mentors? Is it, what do you look out for when you're looking for a mentor? That's a great question. In the book, I actually referenced how to set up mentorship programs, how to look for mentors, what to look for. And one of the people I quoted the book is the pastor from my church, Pastor Ryan Reed. He did an entire service on mentoring and setting up this mentoring relationship. Now, Dave might want to chime in here, but I've always found that if you want to learn, the teacher will appear. And if you ask, if you have the right positive attitude, there's always people out there that are willing to coach you. Uh, one of the expressions we have in the fire service is that a senior or an older firefighter's the most important job is to teach the young firefighter how to become an old firefighter. The one thing that I would... Um... I, I guess warn others on is that there are people that uh, fancy themselves as uh, you know a gift to the fire service and and they attempt to mentor others when in reality they should kind of steer away from it and and so as a young firefighter I I think it's incumbent to get to know the people on your crew and the people on other crews and, and really see who is, who's the one that people are looking up to and, and try and uh, work with that individual, you know, almost like you're uh, interviewing them informally, you know, cause you want the best of the best to be mentoring you, you know? Yeah, and I think it's important not to dive into a mentoring relationship. Perhaps you kind of, it's almost like your initial couple of dates where you talk to them, you engage with them, and then you're looking for those skill sets, those behaviors that you want to emulate. So for instance, if this person is always to work on time, if this person is always one of the first ones out checking out the rig, um, if he's always being courteous to citizens and patients, you start looking at those traits and you say, hey, wait a minute, those are traits that I'd like to have. And then you just start the conversation because obviously it's a two-way street. That mentor has to have time, effort, energy to uh, work with the mentee. How much do they award pe reward people in the fire department if they are mentoring? Or like reviews, different things like that, see them as a value part of the organization because they're putting the extra time in that they don't really have to? That's always been one of the pet peeves that I almost started chuckling when you asked the question because it, it rankles me and it irks me. I don't know of a lot of departments that have a formal program of mentoring or a reward-based program where there's an incentive or some sort of, of pay or benefit for mentoring. Most of the mentoring programs that I know of are just informal, where it just starts with that relationship and somebody who perhaps uh, sees somebody that says, hey, that person has a lot of potential. I'd like to help them. I had a lieutenant early in my career, in addition to ballpark, had another lieutenant. This was even earlier. Uh, his name is Jim Fisher. He retired as our chief of training. I still stay in contact with him today. 
and he lives out in Flagstaff, Arizona now. And he's one of the people that contributed some, some material to my book. So, but he was the type that took the time to mentor you and coach you. And I think he bred that in me. And then I did it down the road as well. They're all informal. The only thing that I, I think maybe might be something that you could compare to is like a precepting program where the, the the senior paramedics will get an incentive for essentially checking off another paramedic so that and basically giving them their blessing that they're ready uh, to you know be on their own. And that's not a bad analogy, Dave, but um, what I found is that some preceptors do it for the right reason. Uh, some do it because they get a pay bump. Maybe they get a one or 2% pay bump or they get some sort of a benefit. So I've had pros and cons with that in my career. Um, but it is a good analogy in terms that they do have a way to influence other people's career. And the preceptoring tends to be a little more structured than some of the uh, mentoring pro programs. What about the testing? You talk about preparing for the test in your book. Like these exams, are they difficult to move from, move up the ladder? They're very challenging. And the reason is that in the fire service for about the last 30 to 40 years, uh, a lot of departments have gone to what's called the assessment center process or assessment center methodology. And one of the reasons is this has been validated to have the less adverse impact on different uh, classes. It's been uh, validated as being the most likely to predict future performance. But what it does in the assessment center process, it puts you in the seat. So I mean that administratively, I mean that in terms of giving presentations, running emergency scenes. And what they try to do is build exercises, build scenarios that are as close as possible to the actual job position. So it'll all start with what's called a job task analysis or review of the position. And they determine what are the skill sets that are most important for the position. So at the firefighter level, paramedic or lower levels, it's more task-based. As you continue moving up each level of supervision, it becomes more strategy-based, more command-based. And obviously, the higher you get in the organization, more administrative skills. So the, there's basically about six fundamental exercises you'll find in most assessment center processes, and they do vary based on rank. So for instance, an in-basket is more of a paperwork-driven exercise, managing calendar, scheduling, managing a lot of documentation and material. That wouldn't be likely at a lieutenant level. But at a lieutenant level, you might get more of a training presentation where you have to give training on a piece of equipment. Uh, perhaps at, pretty much at all levels, you're going to run an emergency scenario of some sort. But obviously, at the lower levels, you might manage just a couple of companies, a couple of crews. At a chief level, you might be managing dozens of crews. So the, the whole process of the assessment center is kind of taken away from the old fashioned multiple choice written exam that just proves what you can memorize, what you can remember out of a book. Now there's some value for that. There's a place for that in, in the testing process, but the assessment center, which is what most agencies do now, both fire and police, it's more based on the reality of the job and it's a better predictor of what they're gonna do in the future. Chief, how many, how many assessments would you say that you have informed on? Well, that's a tough question. <laughs> yeah, I know you give me a tough question at some point. I'd have to say in the thousands at this point, um, over the last 24, 25 years that I've been doing assessment center training, 
I've prepared people from approximately 475 different departments and 71 or 72 different testing outfits or testing companies. There's approximately that many companies around the country that put on assessment center testing. Now, some departments will put on their own in-house testing done by HR. So you could add that to the list as well. So if you take those 475 plus departments, you can figure that a lot of those I've prepared people for lieutenant, captain, or chief. A lot of other processes I've prepared people for fire chief position as well. So it's got to be in the thousands by this point. Would, would you say that your book is a pretty good distillation of, you know, your, how you would prep somebody? 100%. And that's what I tried to do in the book is to give a lot of different examples. So some testing companies, for instance, in emergency operations, they'll do a radio-based test where it's all radio communication simulated. That's what we call a dynamic uh, example. Some companies will do a static test where they give you information, but there's no feedback. There's no interaction. Some will ask you questions. Some will have a combination of these. So in the book, I tried to describe all of these systems. And I asked my students as they're reading the book to determine what their testing, who their testing vendor is, what their process is. And then in the book, I demo how to do, work through each one of those systems. But the big thing that I emphasize, I think in a lot of the chapters in the book, but especially in the tactical emergency ops one, is if it's not said, it's not scored. So a lot of firefighters will imply things or assume, and we know what happens when you assume, that certain knowledge that they have is implied that, that something would be done. So I got to get them to overcome that hurdle and be able to explain everything that's happening on the scene in detail, because the raider cannot score you if you don't say you did it. They cannot give you the benefit of the doubt on any of your actions. Wow. And, and I think that you look at things uh, so much with the experience to really figure it out more practical than a lot of these exam preparation books or things that really don't lay it out through experience. Right. And they're just hoping, Hey, I can memorize this stuff or look at this stuff up, but you're going to give really perspective in this book regarding this exam. Well, you know, you, you touched a, a very important point right there, Neil. And I have a chapter on interpersonal counseling, subordinate counseling, where you're working with a troubled employee. Now, this chapter is dedicated to a former firefighter that I used to work with. His name is Luis Edward Perez. We called him Louis Perez. His family called him Eddie from his middle name. Now, I worked with Eddie uh, Lewis for many years, and we had a great relationship. Eventually, I moved up to the administration, and we still maintained our relationship. He would come by the chief's office periodically, stick his head in the door. Chief, how you doing? And we would always chat. But towards the end of my career, he wasn't doing well. He was having some personal challenges. He was really struggling. So towards the end, um, he came to my office on my very last day. We had a big group of people. We took a bunch of pictures. We actually went for a ride on, the, on his engine. About a week later, I had a, a party, a, a retirement party. It was disco-based theme. Had everybody dressed up like if it was a disco night. And he didn't show up at the party. A couple of days later, he calls me to apologize for not showing up. We continue chatting. And I, I never forget this. We took 23 minutes on the phone and we were reminiscing and talking about things. And I asked him, how are you doing? And he was giving me a lot of one word answers, short answers. And I kept emphasizing, hey, if you need help, reach out. We have a lot of resources, you know, get help. Well, three days later, he took his own life. And I dedicated that entire chapter to his memory. 
because in the fire service, unfortunately, we have a lot of suicides. We have more suicides than we have line of duty deaths every year. And a lot of that is from post-traumatic stress. It's from dealing with a lot of the emergencies and the traumas and the things that we see, the lack of sleep. So I tried to emphasize that in that chapter, Neil, and you brought up a great point there, that I want everything in this book to be applied every single day of your career. This is not something that you're going to work on for the test and then put the book in a drawer, pick it up three years from now for the next rank. My goal was that everything in this book is applied on a daily basis. And I know in Dave's book, um, he talks with great candor, great humility about some of these topics of PTSD. And, it, you know, that's one of the things that also motivated me to really put that emphasis on that chapter that most firefighters love the emergency operations. You know, they want that adrenaline rush, go to an emergency scene, make a rescue. But in reality, that's a small percentage of our day. The largest percentage of our day is with the other firefighters in the firehouse, breaking bread, training, drilling, going to schools and training, hydrant maintenance, all the things that we do together. And I think that skill set is sometimes lost because it isn't flashy. It isn't fun. Uh, but I, I really wanted to emphasize that in the book. And I think Dave in his book does a very good job of that, too. In regard to your book, how many chapters, how many pages, how is it laid out? Is it meant to be read from chapter one, chapter two, chapter three, or is it something that you can reference different parts of the book, um, depending on what it is that you're working on? Well, it's funny that you would ask that because I know the answers to that. It's 90,000 words. <laughs> it's 16 chapters. And in essence, it's kind of laid out in three sections. I didn't necessarily split it up that way in the table of contents. But the first chapter, the first section, I should say, is more about yourself, overcoming challenges, time management, uh, getting your family involved in the whole process, your mentors. I talk a lot about resources such as websites, books, um, podcasts, all the resources that are out there to help you learn. The second phase of the book talks a lot about assessment centers. So I introduce what an assessment center is, what the raters are. I, I show a lot of different rating scales. I talk about a lot of different rating companies, how the companies work. So the second section is more in line of what is an assessment center? What is it that I'm getting into? And then the third section breaks down each of the exercises. So each exercise is explained in, in a lot of detail and then there are samples. So I give demonstrate, demonstrate how to answer, how to set up worksheets. So in essence, it's broken into three sections. First section is more about the person, how to develop, how to get ready for the process. Two is, what's the process? What is this assessment center? And then three is the deep dive into each of the exercises. So the way that I see it, a person can get into the book and they could read it from beginning to end. Or when they get to that third section, they may say, well, you know what? Freddie talks about an in-basket, but I don't have one. Maybe I'm not going to focus on that one this time. But when I go for chief, I will. I talk about interviews, for example. So if they don't have an interview, I would say I would consider not looking at that chapter depending on how much time they have available. I'd rather they read it all the way through because I think a lot of things they learn in one individual chapter could bleed over to other chapters and other exercises. But I cover basically the, the fundamentals of how to run an emergency operation, how to give a presentation, whether it's internal stakeholders or external stakeholders. We talk about subordinate counseling. We talk about interviews, obviously emergency operations, and then the in-basket. So, those are the six most common exercises they're likely to have in an interview, and they're all covered in a lot of detail in the book in that third section. 
Well, Dave, I, I am impressed by Chief Freddie's information, aren't you? Again, that's why you had him back on again. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, before we go, uh, Chief, where can people get in touch with you and where uh, can they purchase your book? Well, the book is going to be available on all the major uh, outlets. Uh, the primary outlet where it's going to be available is an outlet called Book Baby, and they have a company, uh, an outlet called The Book Shop. So I'll be providing that, those, uh, that information shortly. The book is just in the early stages of being released, so to, but it will be available on Barnes & Noble and all the other websites. It's also going to be available in an e-book e form for those people that like using it on a Kindle, some sort of an electronic device. I'm old school. I like the book in my hand. I like to be able to circle and highlight and, and dog ear pages, but it is available for people that want to do the ebook style as well. Awesome. And then for those that would like to check out your assessment center training, because I know you're still doing that um, for fire and law enforcement, correct? Yes, sir. I've got two websites. I've got one website is fireassessmentcenterprep.com. And then I've got a sister website called policeassessmentcenterprep.com. And if you know how fire and police people are and the rivalry between them, so on the fire website, all the theme is red. There's a lot of red on there. And then obviously on the law enforcement side, we have a lot of blue. But I enjoy training police officers as well. I enjoy that camaraderie. I have a great time working with them. So it's fireassessmentcenterprep.com or policeassessmentcenterprep.com. And either one of those websites have my phone number, my email, and people are uh, more than welcome to reach out either me mechanism. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Chief, again, for, for joining me a second time and uh, for actually putting together what I know is going to be an amazing book, Fire Assessment Center 360, Climb Past Your Competition. So check it out. Uh, get your copy as soon as possible. Thank you for listening to this episode of From Embers to Excellence. Please visit hollenbachleadership.com for additional content. And don't forget to like, subscribe, and leave a review.